Hi, everyone, and welcome to Four Years of Faith, a podcast on Catholicism in college. I'm Mary Joy Kozak, and I'm joined, as usual, by my terrific co-host, Kevin Jackson. Kevin, what's new? Not much, MJ. Having a great Sunday. We're here recording on a Sunday. It's a beautiful day outside. Just had one of our first golf practices of the season, so we're teams off to a good start, and enjoyed the time outside. Feel uh, refreshed, ready for some studying later. <laughs> That's good. So last week, we started off our podcast by discussing one way that we encountered God in our week. Um, and so we know Ignatian spirituality actually emphasizes the notion of finding God in all things. So one of the things encompassed in this idea is that we can also find God in other people. So we thought we'd start off today by asking um, if there's a specific way that we found God in others this week. Kevin? Well, of course, in my co-host, MJ, <laughs> all the time. But uh, yeah, one specific instance this week, got coffee on the snow day uh, with a friend had a good chat. He's a junior. Uh, had a good chat about his thoughts heading into his senior year, and it was cool to kind of put myself uh, in his shoes, where I was, you know, where I was this time last year as a junior, and really see the way that God's been working through my life for the past year. So that was a really cool experience. Definitely found God in him in our conversation that we had. Uh, very blessed to have had that that coffee chat. Yeah, well, I like that a lot. Uh, and I feel like coffee chats are a great way to just catch up with people, even if you don't actually end up drinking coffee <laughs> at the coffee chat. So last weekend was, of course, our long weekend with President's Day. So I actually went home for a couple of days, which was really, really nice. So I definitely, I always see God in my mom, um, but particularly last weekend too. It was nice just having the time uh, to relax, you know, spend just quality time going on walks, going to Costco, all, all the usual um, things. But it was just it was honestly a really nice reminder of like, I'm so grateful to have such a good support system back home. So definitely grateful for my family and in particular, my mom. Yeah, and that'll be one of the great things about spring break when we go home is just that little bit slower pace, uh, whether it be hometown or on vacation, just get away from the busyness that's on campus a lot. And you you do have more time, I think, to uh, appreciate God in the smaller moments in that little bit slower pace setting. So glad you had a good weekend. <laughs> Yes. No, a spring break is another thing definitely to look forward to. So speaking of finding God in others, uh, we're just about to introduce our guest for this episode. Uh, these conversations give us the opportunity and privilege to have interesting conversations with wonderful people. Well, this week we're diving into a topic that's a little bit different from the ones we've explored for the past few weeks, but one that we think is still very relevant for young people. Our topic this week is focused on the relationship between science and faith. It's a topic that can easily be political or theological, controversial, but our focus today is going to be much simpler. We want to explore how science and spirituality can contribute to and even enrich one another. So to explore that topic, we have a wonderful guest joining us today. So we're now excited to welcome our guest uh, for this week, Professor Kathy McGuire Zeiss. Kathy's been a member of the Georgetown community since 2007 working as a member of the neuroscience faculty, and serving as a residential minister. We're thrilled to have her on the show today. Kathy, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be here. Um, enjoying my Sunday as well. I like the slow pace of the weekend, so I'm happy to be here with you, and I hope that uh, we can have a good conversation. Terrific. Again, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for your time. We're really excited for our conversation. As MJ mentioned, uh, you serve in a couple different roles here at Georgetown, so would you mind just giving us a quick overview of the various ways that you're involved around the campus community? 
Sure. Um, my main appointment is in the Department of Neuroscience at the Medical Center, and there I run a lab, um, NIH-funded lab, that studies uh, neurodegenerative disorders and really the role of inflammation in the brain. Um, I have four uh, PhD th thesis students and probably about six undergrads working in the lab and two master's students. And then I also teach uh, medical school um, neuroscience Mostly the labs or what I, the neuroanatomy labs are the ones that I concentrate on. Some undergrad, some grad teaching, and then right now I'm teaching synaptic transmission to undergrads. Um, that's one of my true pleasures in life. Um, I really enjoy it. And I run the, direct the grad programs, both PhD and master's level programs um, at the medical center. So that's sort of my academic side. And then um, otherwise, in the community, I, as you said, I'm a resident minister in VCE, the greatest place to live. So if anyone's like getting ready for the lottery for housing, they want to just step right up there. Um, it's really, we have a good time there. Um, but I also help with campus ministry retreats and um, prayer and daily living and like the six-week retreat that, um, uh, that is run out of campus ministry. So I'm also a spiritual director in the Ignatian tradition. Wow, that's impressive. So obviously working as a professor, it seems like you don't need many other things to do. I feel like that would take up all your time. Yeah, I feel uh, like just a class on synapses would, uh, you know, that would take up all of my brain power just yeah. to even be in that class. Yeah, Synaptic like transmission. Seriously. Yeah. Wow, that is that is very impressive. Yeah, plus all the other things you do. So obviously you must be pretty busy between the lab and everything here, teaching, you know, both grad students and undergrads. Um, and then also on top of that, throw on, uh, you know, serving as a residential minister, um, as well as a spiritual director. So I think people at this point are curious, well, you know, why why take on those additional roles, um, which seem different from the field of work? Sure. Like if you had asked me when I came in 2007 that I'd be doing this, I'd tell you you're out of your like mind, totally <laughs> out of your mind. Um, I came in 2007, had no idea really what it meant to be at a Jesuit university. Um, Soon after, I think it was like 2012 to 2013, I was involved in the 19th annotation of the spiritual exercises. And since then, I've been in spiritual directing, direction here um, with uh, Father Joe Lingham when he was here. And it was through that process that I was able to really discern where God was calling me in other ways. Um, and what bubbled up from that was really to become a spiritual director. And so I started taking classes over at Holy Trinity and it's been like a several year process. Um, so I finished that, and then um, once I finished that, I started another program where, you're, where eventually I'll accompany people in the 19th annotation. But through that, um, I learned about the resident ministry program, or it was called Chaplain of Residence the first year I did it. This is just my second year. Um, I realized I had a little more energy than um, I was using, and a little bit of time. My kids were both, um, you know, Morgan was going to graduate. Um, from Georgetown. My son had already graduated from college. I was widowed like almost 20 years ago, so I really had like a lot of time on my hands. I felt like a lot more love to give, I guess is the way I put it. So um, I think that's really how I got started in it, and it's been uh, fun and a steep learning curve as well. Yes, college has changed a bit since I went. That's amazing. I love that what you said, a lot more love to give. I feel like that's not usually how I analyze what I'm involved in. Usually I think oh, I need to hit X, Y, and Z extracurriculars just so they either look good or just that I'm involved in, so I, I like them, things like that. But I really like that perspective of looking at it. So Yeah, and the notion of looking at 
others and you know looking at the the, the needs of others because then I think it's really easy to look at you know what do I need or what more can I be doing for myself um, but looking at the fact that you know you have love to give other people I think that's amazing well the students in the lab would say give me some love but, <laughs> <laughs> but that's a whole different environment <laughs> uh, that's great um, well, as we said today, we'd like to focus on the relationship between faith and science, which we think is relevant for young people, especially college students, uh, because science can often be seen as a stumbling block to people of faith. So in your opinion, um, as you kind of, I'm sure, wrestled with these questions over the years, what are some of the perceived incompatibilities that someone might think exist between faith and science? Well, Kevin, I think that's a good question. First of all, you give me a little more credit than I'm due. I don't know that I ever really wrestled with it, which is probably a problem. Um, I was born Catholic in an Irish Catholic family, so my faith was part of my life the entire time, as was my desire to understand nature and science, and I, that started when I was a kid. Uh, first rock collecting with my dad and then doing science fair projects at the Catholic school. So. I don't think I ever really felt the incompatibility of it. Um, I do think that one of the perceived incompatibilities is that um, people of faith don't have scientific reasoning, um, and also that people who are scientists have to be atheists, mostly because it comes down, I think, mostly to a literal interpretation of the Bible, especially at, in the very beginning, which is the <laughs> creation story, right? And so that causes sort of this barrier to go up right away. but. I mean, really, the Pew Charitable Trust had done several um, uh, surveys to sort of investigate this this question about um, scientists and people of faith, and it turns out that you know over 40% of um, scientists are people of faith, so it's not really that unusual. Um, and the ones that are polarized are the ones that um, either are uh, people of faith that don't understand science or people of science that have no faith. So I think it's really this idea that it is a perceived conflict and they're really, they can be integrated in a way that they help each other to grow. So given your various roles on campus, those both in the neuroscience department um, and with Catholic ministry, it seems pretty clear that you don't see faith and science as incompatible. Um, I know you talked a little bit about the fact that, you know, you were obviously raised Catholic um, and that's part of the reason why, um, but how have you overcome some of these perceived incompatibilities um, in your life? Yeah, I think some people like to keep them separate and say like science is about natural science and uh, faith is about sort of metaphysical things. Um, for me, I think it's both of them are searching for truth and it's just uh, a different way of approaching truth. And so that's sort of how they build on each other. Both are heading into the unknown. Uh, both are requiring experience. Um, and so for me, like, instead of, like, butting heads with each other, they just sort of are starting to come together more. So I would guess that um, it's more like there are times when I see God in my work, and so that strengthens my faith in, um, and I'm already doing science, right? So, like, I'm really, I'm really a strict, like, I got to have the data, and I have to have the statistics, and it has to be significant, and, like, we don't like to talk in our lab about trends, because for me, there's, like, no trends. They're either significant or they're not, and uh, so, so I don't really, like, have a sort of squishy area where I don't think it's science, um, but I do know that from, you know, looking under the microscope or from designing experiments, looking at the human brain under the microscope, looking at cells, that there is a beauty that goes beyond what we actually need 
to have, actually. So this, this sort of intrinsic beauty in science, I think, actually supports my faith. I don't believe um, in the theory of like the God of gaps. Like if I don't understand something, it's because God did it. Uh, because we're really getting better and better at using our brains, at uh, developing technology. If we did that, then every time we discovered something that we thought was God, where would God go? Our faith would go away, right? So I don't really link it that way. Um, I consider it um, an ongoing creation. We're in a world with, which is an ongoing creation. And as the complexity continues, we've also been given this ability to become more complex individuals and to understand more and more about what's going on. And this is a freedom that I think God uh, gives us as, uh, as his created being. So, so for me, it's more about um, seeing that complexity and that beauty over and over again, reinforcing that, um, that I feel like uh, I'm happy that I have a God of surprises in my life. You know? hmm. So that was really interesting. I think the one thing that really struck me was the idea of talking about the fact that you know, in, in our lives, we can also look at things very logically in terms of, you know, well, how does the evidence show it? Or what does it, the statistics show it? I think sometimes people look at faith and say, oh, you know what, if you either believe, you believe blindly, or you don't believe at all. Kevin, what do you think about that? I think there can be a tendency to romanticize religion a little bit. I think a lot of times it's not nearly as romantic as people make it out to be when it comes to faith. You know, there can be reasons and you can use our intellect, and I think this is definitely an aspect of Ignatian spirituality, using not only our heart, but also our head in coming to know God. But I think that it can be overblown a little bit that faith is just this kind of emotional reaction to things. So, Kathy, do you have any uh, experience with that? Sure. I would say you brought up a good thing when you, you know, well, whenever you mention St. Ignatius, you bring up a good thing, right? So, so but that's we just go my to personal, school, that's of course, just my, you know? yeah, that's just my personal opinion. Uh, but uh, I think St. Ignatius teaches us one thing about faith that, um, that you brought up, this idea that it's just like some kind of fantasy that you make up in your head or something. Um, I think the reflective nature of Ignatian spirituality sort of takes us beyond that, right? So it asks us to see what has happened and to reflect on it. And one thing they call that over a lifetime, like and in my age there's a lifetime, is called graced history, right? And so I can go, pa- go back over my history and see places where God put people in my, li- in my life and enrich my life in that way. And so for me, the faith is I can go back over and over again and see where God's been working. So that's just like data for me. It's very similar to data, right? I don't try to use science to prove that God is in existence, but I do use data in my decision-making and my discernments, and I use data to see where God's been in my life. Well, I like that idea of grace history a lot. I'm definitely going to be thinking on that the next few days as well. It's beautiful. Yeah, it sounds like the method that you use in your work as a scientist kind of carries over in that sense. You know, it's not just isolated in your work, but can also be a useful way of approaching faith as this, um, as you said, kind of gathering the data, seeing where God has been active, present in your life, and then proceeding out of that. Well, and that comes into this idea of compartmentalizing different parts of your life, which I think, you know, I've heard a homily, I think, or two about the idea of, you know, oh, well, you can't, you don't want to compartmentalize faith in your life. You want it to be a part of your entire life and, you know, entirely who you are. 
um, and that makes up the identity. So I guess that would make a lot of sense if we approach, you know, our faith in the same way that we approach, you know, our work and our careers and things along those lines. Yeah, I think definitely coming to Georgetown and uh, being exposed to Ignatian spirituality and really the methods behind discernment and the methods behind proceeding, a certain way of proceeding in your life has allowed me to really integrate my life and my faith much more than I did before. Because I think before I really spent time like not worrying about whether like my faith fit with my science or whatever else I was doing in my life fit with my faith. I went to church and, you know, like that was like my Sunday duty. And But here I've been able to really integrate it as all part of my life. Um, and that's really enriched both my science and my faith. And because they're, they're intertwined and it's like a spiral staircase for me, right? And so as I make new discoveries in the lab, I feel even closer to God, and as I feel closer to God, I'm more enthusiastic about going to work, and you know, so it, it, it is really important for me now that it's been all integrated, and I think like living on campus and you know, having different roles on campus besides just being in my lab has really helped enrich that. So Kathy, something that comes up in science that's often seen as a positive thing is the idea of asking questions, of raising questions of having doubts and then looking into it deeper. But a lot of times we frown on that when it comes to faith. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think one of the main things uh, with spirituality and science or spirituality and any work is how do you bring your spirituality to your to the office, to the lab and to the classroom, right? And so that's in the beginning was really hard because I felt this like sort of clunkiness between like this is my own personal faith, this is my classroom. I might offend somebody if I say something, or how does it, like, how do I put that into my classroom, right? But now it's much easier for me because I think I can see the um, the way that we're asked really to go deeper all the time in everything that we do, and that's a big Ignatian tradition, right? That's the one way that they sort of you know, Jesuits move forward is like to dig deeper into everything. And science is, that's all you're doing, right? You're just, every time you ha- you learn something, you go deeper. And what I find is every time I learn something about my faith, I go deeper. And it doesn't mean I don't have questions or doubts, right? And that would be weird, right? For me, that as a scientist, that just would mean like it is all a bunch of, I don't know what, nonsense, right? The fact that I can still have doubts and still move forward, I think is what, empowers me, right, and keeps me enthusiastic about what I'm doing, right? So I I welcome that there are people that have questions and doubts and unknowns, and I think we have to each experience it ourselves, you know. And in the classroom, I try to do that by, like, asking these integrative questions and really asking people to go deeper in not just the subject matter, but how, for instance, in synaptic transmission, how those connections in the brain are played out in our daily lives, right? So, I think that's great, and I think the one thing that you said that is, you know, encouraging to hear is that you know questions aren't a bad thing. Not at all. Yeah. I think that's something that, you know, might, might be confusing to some people. Like, oh, well, if you believe, you should believe wholeheartedly. But I don't think it's an issue if we do have questions, and you know, our goal in life is to figure it out. Yeah, and I think in many ways, scientific research can be the same way. Sometimes you try try an experiment, something works, you try it again, you repeat your experiment to see if you get the same results. It's not faith is absolute, science is absolute all the time. There is that process of 
coming to know, coming to understand and refining our experience over time. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's something for us in the lab that you have to do. And I find it also in my faith. And that's what I was talking about when I mentioned just briefly about grace history. I think that that's one way when you reflect back from this moment until the earliest moment you can remember and see where God pops up for you and take um, take that sort of trip. It's like pretty amazing to see all the different ways that God presents himself. And I think that that reinforces my own faith. Um, and then scientifically, it's the same way. Like you just have to, uh, part of it is you have to believe, right? Like you have a hypothesis. That's what a hypothesis is. It's a belief in something you have yet to test. So I, this is why I don't have a conflict, right? Um, luckily, I'm better at understanding my faith and my hypothesis are usually not right in the lab <laughs> and we have to start again but that's another that's what makes it interesting i guess yeah so kathy we always like to wrap up with a fun question so we'd like to ask you what's been the most fun part about living on a college campus while not in college well that is interesting um i would say that's a tough one i think i think for me i have no stress compared to the students so so like I can really enjoy the the college campus I can go to all the events that I want to go to and not have to worry about do I have to study that night Um, but I think the most fun thing for me um, and this is true as a parent too so it probably like just bleeds into it is I love to hear the noise I love to hear the students having a good time and knowing (laughs) that I don't have to so my job is a non-reporter so I don't have to worry about like what are they doing Uh, but I I just love to hear them have a good time and it reminds me of when I was in college and I definitely had some good times when I was in college so I think it's this um, I feed off the energy of uh, you guys like the way you enjoy your academics and the way you enjoy your fun time so for me that's uh that's been really a grace so that's awesome that's not what i was expecting wasn't expecting the noise to be yeah uh, no, no, that's a good thing I know. there's a little bit of life and energy yeah that, that's, that's yeah. all tied in and yeah i think thing. if there's no noise next door i worry that maybe <laughs> the person isn't having as good a time as they should in college you know so good for second yeah my kids wouldn't say that i would ever say that this is only after post-graduation with my own <laughs> children of course <laughs> Well, Kathy, thank you so much for your time today. This is a great conversation. Um, I know I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm sure Kevin did too. Well, it's really been a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time and caring about what I had to say. Thank you, Kathy, for your time, and thank you for listening to Four Years of Faith, a podcast on Catholicism in college. I'm Kevin Jackson. And I'm Mary Joy Kozak. We'll see you next time.